Well, I'm Alberto Orozco. I'm CEO of Capital Mining. We're currently exploring the Cruz de Plata project in Durango, Mexico, where we have uh, a couple of targets there, the Jesus Maria San Rafael silver target, where we're currently doing uh, our exploration, but we also have the Capitan Hill oxide gold deposit in the project. Nice to meet you, Alberto. Uh, I'm Tom Paragudoff, president and CEO of Apollo Silver. We're advancing the Calico Silver project in San Bernardino, California. Uh, we announced a maiden resource estimate of 166 million ounces of silver back in February. Uh, and since then, we've been drilling and uh, recently put out some additional news uh, around those results this morning, in fact. Um, and again, uh, all results are positive. And uh, in addition to California, we've got uh, the uh, Arizona Silver District uh, where we've commenced some uh, initial target uh, definition uh, with the objective of getting uh, drills out there sometime in uh, first quarter of 2023. My name is Michael Conard. I'm the founder and CEO of Vizla Silver. Vizla Silver's goal is to become a large-scale producer of silver and gold from the Panuco District in Sinaloa, Mexico. In March of this year, we put our maiden resource out, which was a combined 106 million ounces of silver equivalent. Um, we're very rapidly progressing the project with nine drill rigs turning as we speak, and our goal is to put an updated uh, resource out towards the end of this year. Um, following that, the, the company will continue to explore its very large-scale high-grade district, um, in addition to the um, continued exploration at the, the new discovery of the Copala flatline vein. Uh, the future is very bright for Vizla, and um, we intend to continue to update uh, and, and grow our resources and move through to production. Right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. L lovely to uh, have you all on the show. Um, we are going to learn a lot about uh, silver markets um, today. Um, Alberto, I'm going to start with you. Um, Mexico, open for business? Open for business. Uh, so far, Mexico is the largest producer of silver in the world. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, two of the companies today are exploring in Mexico for silver. Great geological potential. Um, it has been perhaps uh, a little bit more challenging than in previous years or previous cycles, but we're still open for business. Um, and proof of that is that a number of mining companies have been able to explore and advance projects in, in recent years. Right, and, and Tom, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip around everyone and then sort of come come back to some more broad based questions. I mean, Tom, you're uh, California and Arizona. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about tier one jurisdictions. They talk about um, you know the you know, Fraser Institute, this, that, and the other. Um, California comes under a bit of uh, bit of stick though. Um, you're not making yeah. those lists. No, look at and 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 the thing that investors need to really understand about California is that um, you can't look at the California as a single entity. It very much depends on which county you're in. You know, we're operating in San Bernardino County. Uh, I think, as you and I have discussed before, uh, the, the San Bernardino supplies all of the aggregate and all of the limestone for all of the construction in Southern California. Uh, there's more operating uh, uh, mines in that part of the world than there is any in any other county in the U.S. And again, just to, you know, we all like to talk about sort of time frames to get things done. I mean, I had my drill permits uh, within about six weeks of making the application to the county for those permits. Uh, compare that to other jurisdictions um, and you start to understand that 
you know, not all things are equal in California. Okay, and and Michael, you're you're down in Mexico, so we're going to take we take Alberto's word as um, red. But you you want to be a big producer when you're going about picking tier one jurisdictions. What were you looking for? Well, you know, unfortunately, you can't exactly pick where uh, these deposits are. Um, you know, we were we were alerted to the Panuco district through um, a contact of ours, and um, you know, I have to admit, the first time that we heard that it was in Sinaloa, we were a bit trepidatious. Um, you know, a quick Google and, and um, you know, we thought, oh, wow, you know, and, and I quickly realized that Sinaloa has probably the worst PR uh, campaign against it. But, you know, uh, my, my motto is that a lot of opportunities are, are, are found between reality and perception. And so when we got to uh, Sinaloa, we were, we were amazed at how easy it is to operate there. We were amazed at how safe it is where we are. Uh, you know, we're, we're 45 minutes away from a, a resort town called Mazatlan, where there's about 300,000 snowbirds go every winter from Canada and the U.S. So, you know, it's very surprising. So, and, and, and because of that, I think, you know, the perception and, and the difference between perception and reality created an opportunity where we were able to put our foot on a very large, high-grade producing district that um, really had never seen any modern exploration. And so, you know, because of that, um, you know, we've, we've been able to very rapidly move the project through exploration towards production. We benefit from the existing production infrastructure that the, uh, the artisanal miners had uh, previously. And, um, you know, we, we find Sinaloa to be a, you know, fantastic place to operate. And, and as Alberto said, it's the largest producer of silver in Mexico, the, the country. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Sinaloa eventually will become uh, one of the larger producers of metal for uh, for the country as well. Okay, now, Alberto, is it easier being a Mexican based in Mexico with a Mexican company than it is from these these companies coming from abroad, this foreign direct investment coming from abroad, or are you all playing on a, on a level playing field? Well, I think it gives you uh, a bit of an advantage. I mean, that, that's part of... Um, of what we have and we're very proud of and we believe it gives us a you know the ability to work um, a little faster a little more easy our, all our team actually is mexican based um it's a team that we've been putting together for a number of years it's a team that knows how to advance and explore deposits and and just perception wise i think it's it's always easy to be local right when you're playing local i think it's it's a little easier not that other companies would have uh, a, a difficult time doing it, but I think it does give us being, you know, all in country a little bit of a, an advantage. Mike, so, Mike, I'm going to jump to you. I mean, have you found any problems operating a country as a Canadian company? Well, no, and and um, you know the reason for that, and I, I take zero credit for this, uh, but we have a, an incredible team, and, and our team is Mexico based, and um, you know the uh, uh, the people on the ground uh, come from large companies like Ignico and, and Capstone and know, Pan American. So, you know, what Alberto was saying, you know, is very true. And, you know, we're, we're proud to say that I believe 90% of our, our team in country is Mexican. Um, and, um, you know, 70% of that are from the local community. So I, I, I totally echo what Alberto is saying. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm very proud of what our team's been able to do. And I think having that local knowledge is, uh, is important. Right, and, and this is a question I want all three of you to answer, which is a, which is around the kind of help that you get that, that you get get from um, either the county level or state level, um, province provincial level or, or federal level from governments. You know, we, we talked about you know Mexico. Okay, it's open for business. I mean, Tom in the U.S. they talk a big game okay. about wanting to um, you know help business, but what's the reality on the ground? 
Uh, you know, look at my experience, and again, um, you know, very much driven by the local San Bernardino County perspective and their understanding of resource development has been very positive. Um, you know, there there is no doubt that the uh, ESG standards in California are high. Okay, everybody, uh, they do lead the way. There's there's no, uh, the, you know, you can't argue that fact. However, what, what we have found is they're also there to help you work through uh, the, 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 the various requirements, whether it be air quality, whether it be, um, you know, water issues, etc. So, you know, look, I'm, I'm again, I've been uh, right in the right county and I've been very fortunate that um, we've uh, had the kind of support that we've had to date, uh, not just from not just from the county, but uh, from from the First Nations groups that uh, we're working with. Right, and Alberto, I've got to come to you on that one. So Tom raises a good point. Environmental standards are getting higher. I think, you know, quite rightly, I think mining, miners need to be um, held accountable to a higher standard uh, and, they, and, you know, potentially need to drive that themselves as well. What, what's the reality on the ground um, for you guys in Mexico? We've seen some, again, from as investors looking into South America more broadly, broadly, just in you know, south of you guys, um, you know, Mexico, I think usually gets thrown in the same basket, unfortunately, but uh, that's the reality that, you know, countries like Chile, um, you know, Peru, we've seen Ecuador, we've, we've, you know, seen, you know, tales of political unrest and socialism making investors nervous. Again, what's the reality on the ground for you? You mean in terms of? Um, I'm not sure. In, 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 in terms of the pressure, the ESG pressures. Because when you're a small company with a small yeah. market cap, with you know cash yeah. constraint, you've got to spend your money wisely. But if you're being forced to do things that perhaps don't make sense in terms of the, 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 the business of you know trying to find silver, you've got some tough choices to make. Yes, I, I think uh, you know what we're seeing, particularly in Mexico, is more than a pressure from society or governments to perform. We've been seeing an effort from mining companies to step it up. And I think all, all mining companies that are, you know, operate at a medium to large scale, um, companies that are, you know, tend to be affiliated to, to the chambers that, that you know, we know of. Uh, I'm the president of the mining cluster of Sonora too. So all, all the bigger mining companies are affiliated there. And what I can tell you is that there's a definite, um, feeling of purpose from those companies to really perform on ESG. And there's a number of initiatives. We could do a whole show uh, talking about it, uh, but um, all of these aspects, environment, society, governance, uh, that I think uh, in some cases, even some of the mining companies in Mexico might be doing better than in other parts of the world. They're being innovative. Uh, they're talking about it. They're trying to bring uh, government and NGOs to the table to discuss, to discuss not not only what we do, but how we can do things better, how we can bring more benefits to the country through mining. Right, and Michael, what's your experience down there with regards to the ESG process? You know, I think that's very true. You know, it's funny. Um, a lot of these, a lot of the questions that we get, you know, being uh, CEOs of mining company is, well, how, how are you kind of being strong-armed or forced into ESG? <laughs> and there's, there's, you know, there's also the, the you know, the the aspect of this business that, that uh, you know, is anti-ESG as well, right? And and but one of the things that I've always said is that, you know, mining was doing mining was doing you know community relations, ESG, all this stuff, long before it was topical, long before it was an acronym, because it was necessary, right? You can't just go into someone's backyard and start digging a hole uh, without without community buy-in. Otherwise, you know, you look at all those stalled projects in in South America. I mean, we've, we've seen that playbook play out before. Um, so. 
you know, I think it's kind of in our DNA as, as, uh, as mining companies, certainly junior mining companies that, that, you know, you, you can't do anything without uh, community buy-in so that, you know, that covers that aspect of it. But, you know, if you're thinking about net zero and, and uh, you know, ca carbon neutral mines and things like that, I think that that, you know, will, will most likely become a voluntary, um, uh, you know, aspect of these companies because that's what the market is going to demand. Um, but you know, it's not going to, you know, it's, it's going to be voluntary in the sense that we have to kick it off ourselves. And then the, those who, you know, aren't able to, uh, you know, kind of be imaginative around that will end up, you know, having a higher cost of capital and find it more difficult to build mines. I mean, you really interesting points there um, with regards to this, because if we look at, you talk about voluntary versus regulated, right? Um, or, or at least, you know, some oversight on, on these things. And if you, you know, voluntary is an in interesting concept because different people have different standards, different companies have different standards, I, potentially because of their, their state of, of growth and may have very little money and very little options and bigger companies perhaps got a little bit more, um, you know, choice there. I spoke to a CEO of a $2 billion company this morning. He's kind of looking at some of these, um, net zero carbon and carbon credit initiatives out there and said most of them he doesn't believe in, be, not, not because he doesn't believe in the concept, but he thinks that there's a kind of synthetic component about going out and buying carbon credits against a forest which already exists, saying, well, we won't cut this one down, but we'll cut the one down next door. It, he doesn't, that doesn't feel real to him. So do you know, do you know what I mean? So they, he's starting to, those big companies are starting to think long and hard about what those sorts of things um, mean. And then when we've got situations like we have in Europe where you know politicians are getting involved in in, in um, the kind of environmental decision making around energy production again there's a bit there's a big you know a polarizing um, argument going on there about what's right and what's wrong so how do you do you feel that the industry does need some kind of regulation or some kind of yardstick which is equitable at, uh, across you know or sorry it, it means the same thing for all companies across the industry. I mean, Tom, how, how do you, how do you view this? Should you well, just look, you know look at I I I do think that you do need uh, standards to be set, but then you need to give people the flexibility to meet those standards in the situation that they're in. Which let's be honest, they're they're all unique. Okay, each mine you go to has a unique set of circumstances. So I do, uh, I do applaud the, uh, the, the, the objective of setting standards, um, but again, give people the flexibility. And then I think from uh, our perspective, then we need to right size those. What are the intent of these things? You know, obviously carbon neutral for an exploration group is a completely different proposition than carbon neutral for Escondida, for example. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, Set, give me the regs, give me some flexibility to meet those regs and make sure then internally with my management team and my board, I right size it and they can change as we grow. Okay, but you're, you're, an, you're an ethical guy, Tom, so that's fine for you. But, you know, as an industry, given the pressures being put on it by investors, by funds, etc., and look, looking in um, with the kind of history that mining has had or perceived history that mining's had with regards to yeah. um, the damage that it's doing to the environment, not everyone's going to behave like you. And I think, as Michael pointed out, and I think as Alberto alluded to as well, investors will look. Retail investors, let's 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 acknowledge those guys are going to go where they think they can make a quick buck. Okay, 
But let's also acknowledge you're not going to build a mine with retail investment only. You need institutions behind you. All right. The smart money, as you and I have discussed, um, you will lose that institutional support if you adopt, you know, uh, a, a, an approach to ESG, which is, let's say, flexible, depending on where you're operating. Well, you know, and, and, and Matt, you know, the irony here is that, uh, you know, the metal that we're talking about today and the metal that we're all looking for is, you know, critical and foundational to the ESG transformation to uh, electric vehicles, to solar panels. Um, you know, without it, you, you know, without silver, you just don't have these things. And, you know, from 2020 to 2025, over five years, uh, you know, demand in the automotive space for electric vehicles meant to double um, on, on, on silver. So, you know, we're already seeing these these pressures on uh, on demand, um, and we're also seeing supply erode through you know large scale mines in in South America. So, I think whether or not uh, you know every exploration company is carbon neutral or, or what have you, uh, I think silver is about to get very topical in the ESG space. And I think um, you know I don't think that the the uh, the, the broader public really understands how crucial silver is to this uh, this GSG theme, and I think that will become very apparent shortly. Here. Okay, and, and yeah, I just want to, I'll stick with the environment just a little bit longer, if, if I may, and then we'll come on to the kind of the, the green component versus pressure metal market more broadly. So, and Alberto, you know, it's a, as a sort of uh, company that's relatively new, just just starting out. Do you, I mean, do you do you feel that the are there any benefits to you? Are there any incentives to you? I should say. Um, to behave a certain way, um, you know, in terms of the environmental component, or do you just have to plow your own furrow, as it were. Well, yeah. Let me put it this way: uh, I think there's probably more than one. Um, for one, is it, as explorers, we have an interesting opportunity, and a very unique opportunity, actually, because we're setting the foundations for what could become a mine. And, and I think we need to look at our exploration beyond the geology and the drill bit and to explore also what the social and environmental opportunities are within a project. And that's of top interest to us because uh, when you know a project needs to move forward, social and environmental aspects are going to be looked at more strongly than the geological aspects uh, of a mine. And so that, that's what's going to make or break a mine. Do you have access to water? Can you guarantee that uh, society is going to uh, be happy with your mind? Have you looked at the local abilities, capacities? What are their needs? What, what are their wishes? How are you going to displace communities if you start an operation here? And you have to look at it as, as building uh, sustainable growth. And sustainable tends to be a controversial word in, in mining because it's it's an extractive industry, but you can build sustainable economies through mining. And that's by first uh, you know, putting a mine into operation, obviously employing some of the people uh, around locally and the getting providers around. But as, as the mine winds down and eventually runs out of reserves and needs to shut down, I think companies have an opportunity to leave uh, other activities that have developed through the mine's life that can be sustainable through time. So I think as explorers, we have that very unique opportunity to at a very early stage, start setting the foundations for a successful mine. Okay, yeah. And I think everyone on this call is gonna agree with that. Um, let's, let's talk about the precious metal market. I'll come on to the green in, in a second, okay? So if it kind of feels to me like 
normal rules haven't really applied for precious metals um, for maybe two and a half years, maybe maybe slightly longer. You know, the, they have not reacted the way one would expect as the economies, um, you know, as, as the economy has unfolded as it has. Um, why do you think that is? What do you put that down to? Is you, is it Bitcoin? Is it technology investment? What, 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 what do you think, Tom? Well, you know, let's just you, you take a, a, a step back from, from, from your question for a second. You, you know, if you look at the way silver traded uh, from about 2015 up to about 2020, sort of pre-COVID, let's call it, you know, PC, uh, you know, it traded in that sort of 15 to $20 range, somewhere $18 rough give or, give or take, uh, you know, on average. COVID hits and like all commodities, there's a big, you know, strong uplift uh, in it. And, and we traded closer to 20 to $25 uh, uh, an ounce. Um, and, you know, the question now is, okay, we, you know, with, with, with the combination of obviously a recognition finally by central banks that printing all of this money has been a little tough on inflation. Uh, and, and second is, you know, the, uh, the interest rate increases that we're seeing is starting to now make everybody think about a recession. You know, risk has come off. A lot of money is, as, as you pointed out in the, in, in the pre-discussion, you know, a lot of investors are, are really wondering where they go now. Um, and precious metals have been impacted by all of that macro sort of uh, impact. What I'm always talking to my investors about is the fact that, you know, when the re when it turns and it is going to turn, you know, uh, everybody on this call has, you know, we've seen this play before. It is going to turn. And when it turns, when you look at the precious metal sector, silver tends to A, come back more strongly and B, come back more quickly. And so I think for patient investors in the silver space, and as Michael pointed out, we're not just the precious metal, right? We have a tremendous uh, application in the greening of uh, of our uh, of our energy uh, moving forward. So, um, you know, yes, right now it seems that relationship is a bit broken, but I think a lot of people moving into high yield bonds. You know, interest rates are up, bond yields are up. I'm going to just wait and see how this plays out. But when it comes back, I think it's going to rush. I mean, Michael, right. Michael, you've got to agree with that. Like, you're not just the CEO of um, Wiesler, um, you're also a partner in Venter Capital. You guys pick theses, you pick, you pick long-term long theses, which you invest into. So what, what was your belief about silver when you kind of kicked this off? Because you, you had a very sort of meteoric rise, but in this market, are even you nervous about it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you got to be a little bit nervous, but that's just kind of human nature. And then you shake that off and realize that this is where money's made, right? <clears throat> this is, you know, the, the crash of, of 2020 was uh, exactly, you know, the time to buy. And, you know, this is exactly the time to buy right now if you want to make money in the space. It doesn't work to buy it at the top. Um, so, you know, that that's how I've been looking at it. And, you know, I thought I was going to have a slower summer, but we've been working uh, nose to the grindstone all summer here because this is when you know you do deals and you know you, you work hard and, and create momentum and so you know from my perspective this 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 price drop has created a, a, an opportunity to enter the stock that's a third of what it was you know in, in the fall of last year I think this is a great time to be buying the stock um, insiders when we come out of a blackout will be will be buying 
uh, the stock right now for Vizsla. But you know, just to go back to the the precious metals theme here, you know, and 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 as Tom mentioned here, you know, silver always lags and outperforms, and it also swings a little bit harder than gold does. But if you look at gold, and and, and you know, gold being kind of that. Uh, benchmark for the precious metals, it's held in there relatively well compared to the S&P. Now, the big pressure against it, of course, is a very strong U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar is only strong in relation to other currencies. So, you know, if you think about it through that, if you take that apart a little bit, and if you look at the, you know, the strength of the dollar index, uh, that's the strength of the U.S. dollar against a crumbling euro. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's the best out of the, the out of the group of, of bad currencies. Sorry, <laughs> but, uh, and um, and that's really why it has a relative strength. And so, you know, that relative strength against the against the an ounce of gold is what's caused a, a bit of pressure on it. But if you look at uh, gold in the context of uh, of other investments, it's done very very well, and it has acted as a safe haven. Now, that to me indicates that silver is going to react very similarly because it does lag. And then it outperforms, and so when gold turns and and uh, and has a leg up, silver will will then follow. And and we saw this in 2020, and it made Beasley shareholders uh, a huge amount of money. We went from 30 cents to three dollars and fifty cents. Um, right now, you know, the company is fundamentally it's far better than it was at three dollars uh, the first time around. We own the project. We have a huge resource. We're, we're we're working very hard to increase that resource. So you know, if you look at things kind of on a fundamental and and um, risk reward basis, I think this is an incredible opportunity to be buying. You know, I I said this you know before um, you know we jumped on on the recording this, but if you want to make uh, you know my I should be careful how I say this, but you know my suggestion would be. You want to make some money buy each uh, three of our stocks and uh, take the summer off and come back in the fall. <laughs> well, you jest, but you don't. Um, but but, <laughs> but, but uh, well sold, sir. Um, but Michael, just just sticking with that. Okay, you're you're giving you're giving um, good insight. Use chosen my words carefully. You're giving good insight to investors about the mentality required to you know. Um, manage their way through this kind of environment, right? And and we have been too. Very similar sorts of advice, which is now is 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 a is a good buying time. You're you're buying stuff at a discount. But what does what do companies do? You know, you guys, you must be looking around at some of these cash constrained companies, some of these uh, management teams and which there are many who don't actually have a, have a view about how to play this market and not sure if they're going to come out the other side and think, well, the management team may not know what they're doing, but the asset is, is quite nice. Do you do you go more into buying mode? Because you all say to me, and we're always looking, but are you more into buying mode in, in an environment like this? Michael, I'll go with you. Um, you know, I would say with Visla, you know, we've, we've, we've always had a very healthy corporate development <clears throat> outlook and, 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 you know, our team works hard on, on opportunities, but we're convinced that, um, and, and, you know, this is our perspective that we're the we're the best opportunity that we we know about right now, and so we're we're totally committed to to unlocking value uh, with the drill bit at Panuco. And if we were to do something, it would have to be on something that we consider to be as as high of a quality as the Panuco district, which you know took took years to to put together for us here. But I would say that with our putting an inventor hat on, you know, we do look that uh, that this is a great opportunity for uh, consolidation. In the industry, and, and like I said, this is where deals are done, and um, you know you can you can see a few of the uh, transactions that the invented team have, have done recently, and and um, I think it's going to create a lot of opportunity at this this low value uh, point in, in the market. But um, you know, again, it's uh, it's important to always be 
looking and flexible on corporate development. But as far as Vizsla goes, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really kind of singularly focused on unlocking value from the Panuco district. Right. Okay. And um, it's where fortunes are made and, and maybe sometimes fortunes are lost if you, if you pick, pick the wrong horse. Um, and, and Tom, you've got a team there, you know, your, your, your board and um, your shareholders means you've got access to um, capital when you think it's appropriate. Are you yeah. looking at, for M&A opportunity in this environment? You know, like you, like you said, Matt. Um, you know, we're we're always looking, but I will say this: we're uh, are probably our filters gotten even finer. You know, things that um, uh, you know, a, a rising tide floats all boats. Uh, you know, right now we're we are much more uh, focused on real value because, um, you know, not to take away from Michael, but you know, I think if you want to look at a silver opportunity. You know, in a in a safe jurisdiction, you can't really go too far beyond 166 million ounces at Calico. But anyway, we can debate that offline. Uh, I'm not going to dilute that. Okay, I'm not going to. I think we've got a a, a project that um, is tremendously undervalued right now, and I'm not going to take on a kind of tier two opportunity uh, just for the sake of uh, of growing in this kind of space right now. And what about you, Alberto? You're, you're, you know, you're the the coal face to mix my uh, metaphors and and commodities. Um, you must see projects and assets to be aware of projects in Mexico, as you say, one of the great historic self-producing uh, countries in the world. Um, do you get tempted by that, or do you need to kind of just stay the course and focus on what you're trying to deliver? Well, I think uh, you always have to be open to opportunities. You know, there, there, there sometimes are. Uh, it's difficult, I think, to find a good opportunity that, that really uh, jumps at you. But sometimes there are opportunities. And, and as a company, we're open always to uh, to see if there's anything that comes. And, and like Michael said, I think it's, um, it is a time of opportunities now. There are a lot of stories that are undervalued. Uh, whether there's one out there for Capitan, we'll, we'll see. But uh, there are definitely some some stories, uh, particularly in Mexico, I think that uh, that that are way undervalued. Okay, um, and I want to talk. want to talk about um, you know the the markets more more broadly, if I can, and just in terms of you know again, you've given us the kind of sales pitch for, um, for for silver, but like I said, very nervous investors um, out there trying to work out how, you know how they treat the cash. Do you think they're right to be in kind of risk off cash in hand mode for now? You, you know, there may be people out there like hunting for the bottom uh, of this cycle. There may be people who are just quite frankly, I've, I don't have as much disposable income or discretionary spend as I um, perhaps did before, you know, COVID came along and, you know, changed the, the inflationary environment. I mean, how, how do, you, do you, I mean, do you empathize, sympathize with that? Or do you think there's, they're, they're missing out on deals? Tom, what do you reckon? Uh, you know, look at, um, it's always difficult to pick the bottom. Okay. Um, but I think in, in the current, where we're currently at, when it turns, it's going to turn pretty sharply and turn pretty quickly. Uh, you know, so I, I think that, um, you know, people who are a hundred percent out are probably not right. People who are a hundred percent in are probably not right. I, I, I personally am hedging a little bit, um, keeping some cash, keeping some powder dry because there's some tremendous stories on sale right now. Uh, and I think that um, the uh, the discounts will get even further as we work our way through the what is traditionally the summer doldrums. Michael? You know, I, you know, as Tom said, it's, you know, it's impossible to pick the bottom same way it's impossible to, uh, to tick the top. But, um, you know, is there, you know, a lot of these companies are down by two thirds, 
um, you know, is there, is there another two thirds to go? Um, you know, hard to say, but I think you're, you know, on a risk reward basis, this is a pretty good opportunity. Now it is, you know, as Tom said, I kind of chuckled. It is, it is wrong to be hundred percent in, I, you know, I, as I, as I am, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, it can be a bit uh, difficult, but, um, you know, it's a good opportunity to, to, you know, if you've been watching stocks or, you know, you, you liked it at, at uh, all time highs, you know, this is a great time to be buying, um, you know, these, these equities. And again, yeah, I definitely caution against uh, being hundred percent into uh, junior mining stocks, but uh, having zero exposure is, is not the right way either. What about you, Alberto? What's your investing style? I mean, intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> well, more than my investing style, you know, it, it, with this conversation, it makes me think that there are two types of entrepreneur mentalities and there's one that is afraid to lose so they don't do things. And then there's other one that is afraid to miss on the opportunity. And that's what gets you into action. And I think I can apply into investment as well. And right now we might be in, in the middle point in between those two, uh, where people are not really sure whether they're going to lose or, or if they're going to miss an opportunity. But I think it's starting to become clear that you know, there is an opportunity here with with uh, with equities uh, in exploration. And how are you finding like your shareholders reacting? Because I've been sort of quite amazed at um, how money changes people's behaviour. We, you know, when times are good, everyone's invincible, um, and when times are a little bit tougher, you know, uh, maybe the only invincible thing is a kind of a, a balanced risk-adjusted portfolio. Um, but we we've seen people go from polite conversational uh, inquiring type uh, questioning of us through to just the cracks are appearing. They're, they're you know, it, it's, a, it's a difficult time. And, you know, I've, I have a lot of empathy for that. I don't have a lot of empathy for when, they, when they're rude to other um, investors, but they, there we go. How, how are your investors dealing with it? Because, you know, you saw, again, you, everyone's come off recently. You had a, a big surge and big response, um, you know, when you, you know, earlier in the year, um, you could do no wrong. And now the market's a little bit tighter. Do you, your investors being polite and civil or are they questioning your management style? Alberto, I'm going to stick with you on that one. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, we've, we've really worked on trying to get investors that are in the company for the long term and that understand that there are going to be ups and downs, uh, that understand that, you know, markets uh, can get ugly at some points, but understand also the fundamentals of the project and the company. Um, and in those conversations, I think uh, our investors understand where we are now and, uh, and and believe in the potential of our project. And what about Tom? Tom, come on. You, you've always been quite blunt um, about yeah. some of the reactions from some, you know from the retail yeah, yeah. market out there. What do you, what yeah, do you look, reckon? It's a, look, it's a range, okay? Um, you, know, I'll, I'll, you know, good, bad, and indifferent. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, as, as I've... Uh, recently pointed out, you know, Jupiter uh, the, uh, participated in the uh, in the $53 million raise we did a year ago. Uh, and I can tell you they've been um, uh, purchasing reasonably aggressively through this and they're now uh, an 11% shareholder on a uh, on a diluted basis. So, you know, you know, if you want to think about what is the smart money doing, those guys are they're patient, they understand uh, the timeframes that we uh, deal with in this industry. You know, at the other end, I, I'm, I'm getting irritated calls from retail shareholders who, you know, uh, are they really don't understand what they're investing in, to be 
perfectly blunt and they probably shouldn't be investing in in the industry um just simply because they just look at it you go buy a lottery ticket i mean if, if if that's your approach to investing uh they think they're a genius in a time of uh in a time of a bull market but this is the kind of market where serious investors make serious money it is michael your thoughts on that yeah I, i've definitely got some <clears throat> some emails uh questioning you know why we didn't do something you know at all-time high share prices and things like that but of course you know that's hindsight's 2020 it's kind of how i look at it but um you know and, and i get that i get the frustration it's uh it's a frustrate i mean you put a ton of money into something and it goes down by half or or you know whatever it's uh it's frustrating but i think that's why it's important you know i think all three of us um, you know, are doing a, a great job here by by getting out and talking to investors in a time where most people go and turtle away. Um, you know, we're here. We got nothing to hide. We we <laughs> we're going to come out of this with a huge amount of momentum. And um, you know, the the serious uh, investors, both retail and institutional, uh, that follow Beasley have been participating in the the all the, the you know these these um, buying opportunities. So, um, you know, again it's kind of a really a test in human nature, isn't it? Where you kind of have the euphoria of, of highs and the, the despair of lows. Uh, but if you can kind of keep a cool head, you can you can make a hell of a lot of money during this time. Cool, calm and collected. Um, look, I'm going to ask each of you to kind of um, take us out with like a, a two minute sales pitch for your own projects. Michael did such a good one for all three of you at the beginning, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. Uh, Alberto, I'll start with you first. Give us, give us your two minutes. Absolutely. So we... Uh, we are exploring the Cruz de Plata project in Durango, Mexico, right in the middle of the Silver Belt. Um, this is a project that holds the original mines of the Peñoles Mining Company. These were the Jesus Maria and the San Rafael silver mines that were operated back in the late 1800s, as is the case with many Mexican projects, uh, you know, old mines that you know, get rediscovered. Uh, and we've been expanding uh, on that trend. We own most of uh, three kilometer trend of silver veins uh, that are really continuous uh, in both their, their that, that strike continuity and down dip, we found that they're really continuous and they have great uh, continuity on thickness as well around averaging roughly 10 meters. And on top of that, we know that we are in early stage of discovery, even though this is uh, developed to some point because there's a resource, 15 million ounces of silver, 300,000 ounces of gold in a, in a gold oxide deposit. Um, we're still at an early stage of discovery, uh, in, in particularly in the silver. Now, on top of all this, we also have the Capitan Hill Oxide Gold Deposit. That's where the 300,000 ounces of gold are located. And that's where we focused at the beginning of the company because pivoting to the silver. And just that we haven't issued a new resource on that, but that we've roughly grown the footprint of that deposit by double. Uh, so that's where we're at now. We believe the uh, the future is mostly with the uh, the silver potential, where we continue to find uh, you know a lot more new data through our drill program that is encouraging us to to feel that there is a really big system for the silver here. And just to uh, to finish it off, we only have 53.7 million shares issued. That's that's not a lot compared to uh, most other companies out there. No warrants. Uh, we've, we've tried to grow this company very responsibly and, and to try to keep just uh, that share ownership really tight. And I think we've managed to do that. Thank you very much, Tom. Sure. Look, at uh, I'm going to steal from Michael. Sorry. Um, I, I absolutely agree with uh, the sentiment around uh, opportunity lies in that space between perception and reality. 
okay? And I think there's a perception around resource development in California that is not the reality that we are seeing in San Bernardino County. So, you know, I think from an investor perspective, when you look at Apollo, you've got to look at the silver resource. Uh, it's one of the largest undeveloped silver resources in not just the continental US, but in North America. Uh, I think that um, the other thing that investors have to look at are the fundamentals and, and you know, it's around team. You give uh, 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 the right team the, the, the wrong project, they'll quickly move on and get the right project. Conversely, you give the wrong team the right project and, and you're gonna burn some capital. So you gotta have these, you gotta have team, you've gotta have find, uh, access to capital, you've gotta have a treasury that's gonna help you uh, uh, move through this difficult time. And I think for what you'll find in Apollo is we kick all those boxes. All the investors need to really think about is that perception versus reality when it comes to resource development in California. Thank you, and Michael. You know, so at the beginning, I, I said that, you know, Vizsla's vision is to become a large scale producer of silver and gold through the Punico district. And, you know, that that certainly has been our vision uh, from the beginning. But what's changed recently is that I think it's it's clear that we're going to have a multi hundred million ounce uh, district here. And, and there's a few reasons for that. You know, we've had success. We had our initial discovery at the Napoleon uh, vein back in uh, spring of 2020. And since then, we've, we've grown that and, and Tejitos. Um, into a very large resource, over 100 million ounces of combined uh, silver equivalent. When I talk about silver equivalent, it's it's uh, silver dominant and gold. There's there's very little base metals. But what's changed recently is that we made a discovery of a flat line, uh, as opposed to a vertical structure, a flat line Copala vein. And uh, Copala has been a you know a real game changer for us because it's allowed us to add uh, ounces very very rapidly. But it also gives us the pathway to uh, a larger scale underground mine there with uh, with the flat line orientation of the Copala vein. So that uh, in combination with the existing resource that we put out in in March has really opened the scale of the project. And um, you know I, I would I would urge investors that are following Vizsla to to, to follow. Uh, you know, developments at Copala because we're putting out news every two weeks, basically from uh, either Napoleon, uh, Tijitos, or Copala, and it's, it's every news release we put out is substantially growing the the resource. And why that's important is you know as we come out of this market, uh, you know, Visa we we've just recently listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I believe that we're going to you know lead the pack here with momentum. Uh, we have nine rigs turning. We have you know growth profiles along all of our veins. But the craziest part about all this, and if you maybe if you remember one thing from this this panel, this presentation, is that um, you know where we have our resource is less than five percent of the overall vein strike. So we have we're closing in on a hundred kilometers of vein strike in the district. We've drilled and, and put a resource on less than five percent of that. So this district district can grow very rapidly. Uh, we have excellent production infrastructure, and I think it's going to be a very exciting time as we uh, we exit this um, this bear market here. Brilliant, guys. Great, great summaries there. I'm, I'm in danger of becoming a silver bug now. Um, I'm, con I'm a converted. Um, so like anyone listening to this, um, these are three companies where I respect what the teams are doing on the ground, doing things the right way in a, in a real way, uh, you know, in, in, in difficult times at the moment. But these are the guys more likely to succeed when we come out of this dip. So Alberto Orozco, CEO of Capitan Mining, Tom Perigudov, uh, President and CEO of Apollo Silver, and Michael Connor, President and CEO of Vizsla Silver. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Matt.